From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Widespread protests have erupted in Iran. Crowds of brave Iranian women have been seen removing their hijabs and throwing them into fires, cutting their hair, and shouting death to the dictator. Women have been the driving force behind these protests, but they are not alone. Students have refused to go to school, flooding the streets, and footage of men ripping down billboards of Ayatollah Khomeini have surfaced. Footage has also surfaced of Iran's morality police and other security forces using excessive and lethal force against protesters. Iranian state media has reported the death toll to be around 60, but that number is likely higher. So what is it that sparked these historic protests? Could they bring positive change to Iran? And what is the proper response from the United States? Today, Victoria Coates, a senior research fellow in international affairs and national security at Heritage, explains. But first, a short message from the Heritage Foundation. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day, These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Victoria, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's a pleasure, Michelle. So starting at the beginning, what are the events that led to these protests? Well, as as I'm sure our listeners know, there there are... periodic protests in in Iran, starting with the 2009 Green Revolution, and they've been going on for now well over a decade. Uh, The most recent iteration, though, is a little bit different, and this was all centered on a young woman, a 22-year-old woman on a visit to Tehran. Her name was Maza Amini, and she was picked up by the morality police who objected to the way she had her head covering. Her head was covered. They just didn't like the way it it was done. And they beat her to death in the van on the way to the uh, to the police station. Just unbelievable brutality. And she, you know, is such an appealing figure that it has really personalized the restriction on personal freedoms in Iran and caused now three weeks of growing uh, protests. Was she a figure that people knew or was it just that she was an attractive young woman and it just captured everyone's hearts? I think it's really captured a generational sense of dissatisfaction in Iran. She stands for all of the young people who have so few opportunities in Iran. And it's it's a really almost oxymoronic situation. Iran has such enormous riches in hydrocarbons, obviously, but across the board, you know, it should be an enormously prosperous uh, 
country. And I think that whole generation in their early 20s who are, you know, way too young to remember the Islamic Revolution or have any sort of personal vesting in that in that system, you know, that they, they really, it, this is almost a cry from the heart for all of them. And so, you know, Maza really has become that that every, every man and every woman uh, who, who feel great dissatisfaction in Iran. Yeah, the footage coming out of Iran is incredible. How long have these protests been going on now? No, it's been it's been three weeks. So we'll wow. be go, we'll be going on a month. So it's longer than most of the previous iterations. And I think the regime finds itself in a little bit of a pickle because you know everybody knows these are the young people, these are the students uh, who are who are protesting. And you know it's really not a great look if you're shooting young women in the streets. Uh, so you know, one of the things they've been trying to do is clamp down on communications. They will literally turn off the internet, which they can do because they have a state-controlled internet system in Iran. Uh, you know, so one of the issues we noodled in the Trump administration that continues to be in the news today is, you know, can we export uh, free and unfettered internet access uh, to the Iranian people to help them in their struggle? Are there other things that the Iranians are fed up with that may have contributed to some of this turmoil as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's across the board. And, you know, what a lot of us have been discussing is that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the the thought was that the Iranians might try to internally reform their government and, you know, make changes to it. And it seems pretty clear that the intervening years have have kind of killed that aspiration that they feel the situation is beyond repair, that the corruption, government corruption is so endemic. And this is one of the, the uh, when you can get polling in Iran, one of the questions that polls the highest is eradicating government corruption. And then you have a host of other issues, just a complete environmental disaster. They have ruined that beautiful country. They have a nasty water crisis because of some very irresponsible dams that have been built. Uh, so then you have a massive labor problem, uh, teacher strikes, trucker strikes, because the pensions and salaries they depend on are less and less dependable because the regime is running out of money. Uh, so it's really a host of problems. But, you know, the the unequal uh, position of women and the suppression of women is something, you know, that that really seems to have touched a nerve. You mentioned this a little bit earlier when we were speaking. Has anything like this ever happened before? Well, ni 1979 uh, comes springing to mind. Uh, the Iranian people are quite capable of revolution and of dramatic change of their own government. So anybody who tells you that is, is impossible is not telling you the truth. Uh, and I, but I would say the closest we came was was 2009. Those were political protests over what was a very obviously fraudulent uh, election of then President uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, and you know that that was unfortunately not supported by the Obama administration. Uh, they the claim was that any. Uh, any U.S. support for the protesters would make a sort of a straw man for the Ayatollahs to point to and say, oh, it's, you know, Yankee interference that's coming in and and ruining our country. Well, you know, I, I think the reality is that, that the Obama administration recognized they could either have negotiations with the regime for a nuclear deal or they could support the Iranian people. They could not have both. And so they chose the nuclear deal. 
uh, in my my mind, very much a mistake, but that was that was their philosophy. But you know, and we fast forward to 2022 and the uh, Biden administration, which we know wants to go back into the nuclear deal, they're trying mightily to get to that. Uh, have also been quite muted in their uh, in their support for the Iranian people. And uh, the Supreme Leader still came out last night and said, uh, you know, that oh, this is America's doing. So they're going to blame us no matter what. You know, you're not going to achieve anything by trying to appease or mollify someone like uh, Ayatollah Khamenei. So, I mean, I think we do much better to just be vocally supportive. I mean, these people are incredibly brave, risking life and limb to try to stand for their freedoms. I mean, that's brand America, you know, and they're not crying out for the uh, communist Chinese uh, party or, or for Russia or for anything, you know, Venezuela, they're crying out for America. And I think, you know, that, that this is an easy, not, certainly not easy, I don't want to characterize it, it's an easy decision for us to make to support them and get Iran back into the shape where it can be a productive friend to America. Was there any positive change that came out of 2022 or 1979? Did the the protest actually do anything to help the people? Absolutely not. Uh, You know, 1979, I would mark as a a, a catastrophe for Iran and the Iranian people and and a real lost opportunity. You know, the, the Shah of Iran was a close friend and ally to the United States and you know, not they were not unreasonable people. You know, the current crown prince, uh, you know, is, is someone I know a little bit. You know, he cares passionately about Iran. And, you know, it certainly would have been a process uh, to uh, to help Iran, you know, the, the old Iran transition to a more liberal form of of government, but it was certainly possible, and that that was a real lost opportunity to to go straight into an equally authoritarian, if not more authoritarian, theocracy for the country, which is you know really, really a disaster. And 2009 had only negative repercussions as well as the frightened regime after that uprising, basically imported a very draconian Chinese and Russian sourced security apparatus that would allow them to take much quicker, greater control. You know, and the question in my mind, Michelle, is a little bit right now why they're not doing that. And I think it does come back to the point the, the point that they have a real public relations problem on their hands. And, you know, that they if you if you kill everybody's kids, you know, you're you're gonna lose your popular support. So I think this is an area where the United States really should be leaning forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and expressing to the people of Iran, you know, you have friends, you have people who will help you if you make this if you make this step. We can't do it for you, but if you take that decision and you make this change, you know, we will not let you descend into you know dysfunctional chaos. We will be there to help. So what I'm hearing from you now, and what I took from your op-ed, is that this is an opportunity that there could be change that comes out of this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of enormous good that the United States does around the world. I mean, we have freed more people. We have, uh, you know, without any intent of empire, which is, is remarkable. It's unprecedented in human history. But this isn't something I'm saying we should do just out of the goodness of our hearts. This is in the very strong national security interests of the United States to remove the threat of Iran, God forbid, a nuclear armed Iran, uh, which is just such an irritant both to the the region but then also to the globe. And the fact that you could replace it with a tremendous ally to the United States, 
you know, would it could become the next uh, the next country to make a deal with Israel, for example. We might call that the Cyrus Accords rather than the Abraham Accords, but there's certainly a deal to be done there, a partner to our Gulf uh, friends and allies. So, you know, there's just an, an enormous strategic win for the United States here uh, if we if we have the will to pursue it. And in conclusion, just a, a silly little question, I suppose, but I know there's I heard about Elon Musk trying mm-hmm. to help. Yeah. What did he do? Well, that's that's the Starlink system. Uh, okay. So that is the satellite Internet system that SpaceX has developed. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, one thing your listeners might not know about both SpaceX and Tesla uh, is that those companies exist largely because of the very generous uh, research support of the United States government and the United States taxpayers. So, you know, they, there's a lot of discussion about how Elon is saving us lots of money by running uh, astronauts up to the International Space Station. And that that is true. I mean, I think this is the way it should go in kind of a public-private partnership. But this was really supported by uh, – by taxpayers and this capability to stream internet via satellite, we first established after Hurricanes Harvey and Maria, uh, when so much connectivity was was knocked out, and uh, and it's something then that SpaceX has commercialized with with Starlink. So the critical thing is is to get that you know that capability to the people of Iran in a way that the regime cannot target. So you know, good first step. Uh, on the part of the administration to issue the general uh, license so providers of this would not be sanctioned under our curtain architecture. But they have to do so much more if they're serious about this. They have to get the encrypted hardware in uh, that will allow uh, users to take advantage of that, of that access. Uh, right, right now, it, it's purely symbolic. So how, sorry, just to dig into mm-hmm. that a little bit more. How is it that we are getting the footage that we're getting, that we're seeing these images? It's it's very, very limited, and it, there's a, almost an information smuggling system uh, that goes on right now at tremendous risk to the users because the regime can target them. And it makes it very hard to verify, which means disinformation can be spread along with information. And that's why having, you know, a reliable, clean system that the message could get out on as well as information could get in on would be such a game changer at this point. And it's, you know, it's new technology that we didn't have 10 years ago, but now we do. And shame on us if we don't take advantage of it. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for explaining this situation and hopefully something good comes out of it and we could talk about that at a later time. I look forward to it. Thanks, Michelle. That's it for today's episode. Victoria has a great op-ed on heritage.org on this topic that I'm going to link in our show notes. As always, thank you for joining us and please, please share us on social media. One more thing, if you enjoyed this podcast highlighting the brave women in Iran, I just wanted to encourage you to tune in to The Daily Signal's Problematic Women podcast. Problematic Women celebrates right-minded women and challenges the left's narrative that women must be liberal, pink-hat-wearing abortion supporters. Okay, that's it. Tim's up next week. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.